the thing about love is it doesn't just shut off like a light switch when things become bad. The heart is still there. The mind's telling us you better get out because it is not good, but our heart just loves and connects with that person and we don't want to go through the pain and hurt and trauma of losing them even though it hurts to stay with them too. I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Welcome back to Beyond the Goals. This is episode number five, and today we're talking to Dr. Christy Overstreet about creating and maintaining healthy relationships. A little bit about today's guest. Christy is a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, a TEDx speaker, author, and consultant. She's published two books on relationships, Fix Yourself First, 25 Tips to Stop Ruining Your Relationships, and Fix Yourself First, four weeks to improve your relationship as a couple, and has a podcast by the same name. In this episode, we're going to use all that expertise to learn a whole lot about what healthy relationship looks like, the role we play in maintaining the strength of our relationship, how to effectively communicate issues, and how to avoid getting trapped in a toxic relationship. We also talk about how the COVID-19 and the isolation that followed has led to breakdowns in familial and romantic relationships. So let's get started. Thank you so much for making the time for this interview. Thank you for having me. And I'm, it's neat to hear that that you uh, that you want to talk about these topics because I know you know some of the work that you're doing in relationships is such an important part of the relationship with ourselves and others. So absolutely, I'm ready. Okay. So because of the pandemic, I think we're all living in a different world now. And the one thing that I'm sure you must have noticed is that the divorce rate has gone up. Uh, family squabbles squabbles is, would be a word that's too minor to describe what's been happening around the <laughs> <Right>. world <laughs> so a lot of uh, breakdowns have happened in relationships which really makes you wonder that just having a little bit more free time and just being together in one room or one house has led to all of this breakdown which makes you wonder if there are so many hidden issues in every relationship that has suddenly come up just because you have a little bit of free time so that makes you really wonder about the quality of relationships that we are, uh, you know, maintaining these days. When this was starting out, I thought, okay, well, people are going to get to, you know, spending more time at home, maybe a little bit more downtime. They're not commuting or having to travel for work or going for the week for work. So people are going to really get to connect. But I think for a lot of, and some people have been able to do that and improve their relationships. Um, but I think some people it's really shined a light on all the undercover issues that you just said, because now they're literally stuck at home in small spaces. There's that. But I think the other part is uh, before the pandemic, people were out running around over scheduling themselves, busy with all these different things. And so they didn't get to have to deal with one another as much. Now it took all the, the barriers away that they're really having to look at each other and say, is this like what we've become? Is this all there is now that we're having to be forced to be together? And 
it's definitely exacerbating a lot of problems around not just communication, but around like, what do we want the future to look like? Do I want you in my future or not? Or, hey, you know, I haven't been happy for a long time and now I'm really going to have to possibly do something about it. I'm seeing a lot of breakups and I'm seeing a lot of divorces right now and, and the divorce process starting out. Yeah, but you know, it's not just spouses, it's family and friends as well, mm -hmm. which really, uh, these are people you've lived with your entire life. And yes. then the partners, the uh, life partners are people you chose yourself. Yeah. And now suddenly people are saying that there is no connection. I don't know who this person is. So maybe people should be running a regular relationship audit, you know, in a way mm -hmm. they should be checking mm -hmm. in with what where their relationship is going. But a lot of people don't really know what a healthy relationship looks like. They have no idea. Some of us have lived with dysfunctional relationships our whole life. So that's mm -hmm. what we understand. But a lot of us, while we try to cultivate something better with at least the people we choose, but we don't really know. We don't really have a foundation to build that concept on. Maybe. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, but what I hear you saying is we got to start with that foundation. Like, where do we start? And the, I think the scariest part of starting with that foundation is we have to look at ourselves and we have to ask, what do I want? And we're not used to doing that. For a lot of us, we're yeah. used to taking care of everybody else, taking care of family, looking out for everyone else's needs, making sure everybody else was taken care of and not ourselves. But for the foundation, we have to say, what do I want? What do I need? What do I need to be um, in order to find my happiness? And that's got to be our foundation is what am I looking for versus what am I just being dealt and I'm accepting because that's what I'm used to doing, just kind of putting up with anyone who would put up with me. We have to be the ones to say, actually, I can step up and say, what am I looking for? And most importantly, what am I not looking for with that foundation and knowing who we are, what we want, and most importantly, what we won't tolerate. So self-awareness and boundaries. But if we were to build a checklist for people, you know, as and when they run a, an audit on their relationship, they check whether their relationship is healthy or not, what should they be looking for? Do they feel emotionally safe? Now, what I mean by that, do they feel they can say almost anything they want and not be judged or, um, you know, not cause conflict or cause a problem, that they can really just be themselves without being um, talked down to, talked against, or not have that negative space. So feeling emotionally safe and feeling trust within the relationship, trust that they're not going to get hurt, that their you know person's not going to cheat on them, um, talk bad about them, or go against them in any way. Um, another thing I want to make sure is that um, am I showing gratitude to my partner, or, and am I receiving gratitude? Because gratitude is so important that. Um, you know, we have to be grateful for who we have in our lives and then also to show the gratitude to our partners. So that gratitude check is really important in a healthy relationship. Okay. So feeling emotionally safe and being appreciated and appreciating the other person. And, you know, in a lot of the mental health sessions that I've attended, this point always comes up whether there are emotion, there's emotional toxicity in your life, whether there are toxic relationships in your life. How do we identify when a relationship is toxic? Because calling any relationship in your life, especially a long-term relationship, toxic is really hard for people because that calls for a lot of very tough decisions. So we, we tend to bury our heads in the sand. We, we avoid that issue. But what would be the red flags that would tell you that your relationship, this is not something you want in your life? One of the, you're, you're exactly right with that burying our heads in the sand sometimes in those toxic relationships because it forces us to 
have to maybe do something about it if we get honest with what we're dealing with. And so some of those red flags we want to look out for is um, in that relationship, are we uh, are we told that we don't know what we're talking about? Are we told we're always wrong? Are we told, no, that's not how it happened? Are we discounted for what we know to be true? And in toxic relationships, there's a lot of manipulation. And sometimes that manipulator, they're not doing it like, oh, I want to manipulate you. It's just how they're behaving. So we can easily get manipulated into thinking we're the problem. We're always the one screwing up. Um, we're the one that needs to do something about ourselves that they don't need to change. Those are a couple of red flags with someone who's manipulative in that toxic relationship. The other one's around the boundaries. If you're with someone and they don't respect your boundaries, when you say no, they don't listen. When you say, I'm not going to be here if you do this, and then they do it, and then you don't leave, or that they keep stepping on your boundaries or your wishes to keep you healthy, that's definitely signs of a toxic relationship. Another sign is someone who's really dismissive. Meaning if you're bringing up to your partner, hey, here's what I need, here's what I want, here's what I desire, like, okay, whatever, or okay, sure. And they never um, work towards their end or they quickly dismiss what you want or say it's not important. That's definitely a toxic relationship. And continued infidelity or betrayal where um, you're getting hurt. The person might be cheating on you, um, whether it's emotional, physical, any type of break in trust in a relationship, and it continues to happen and you don't see a change, that can definitely be toxic as well. I can go on and on. There are so many signs of a toxic relationship, and we don't realize it because people think, oh, the, the relationship's toxic, then how can you love them? Well, the thing about love is it doesn't just shut off like a light switch when things become bad. The heart is still there. The mind's telling us you better get out because it is not good, but our heart just loves and connects with that person and we don't want to go through the pain and hurt and trauma of losing them, even though it hurts to stay with them too. Sometimes that pain seems a lot harder than letting go. Yeah, the void that would be there after this person mm -hmm. is gone is scarier than anything else that the person is putting yes. you through, I think. Mm -hmm. Now the thing is that when you are trying to build a healthy life, this has to matter. But this only comes up, like for me, it only came up when I was trying to rebuild a life after I'd been through a lot of trauma. But if everything is going well in your life, if professionally you're succeeding and your other relationships are healthy, then those relationships that are not doing so well, do they still matter? Because they are toxic. They're still toxic. Do they still matter or not? Or do we just let them ignore them, let them go and just focus on the good parts of life? Because I think it would eventually matter. You are so right. Absolutely, it will matter. It's kind of like when we kind of sweep the floor up and we're like, oh, we'll just sweep all the dirt underneath the rug. Nobody will see it because company's about to come in. So you sweep the dirt under the rug and you keep tripping over that bump in the rug because of all the stuff that's underneath it. If we don't do something about the toxic relationship, we're going to keep tripping. And even though most of the time we can walk through that room with no problem, all the healthy relationships and professional success, there's a big enough lump in that rug that if we don't get it cleaned out, sweep it and get it nice and clean where we need it to be, we're not going to be fulfilled the way we're looking for because toxicity might start really smaller in that relationship and it grows and expands until it becomes so um, overwhelming that it will affect every relationship if we don't do something about it. But if you are in a toxic relationship, is the solution to walk away or is the solution to repair it? Now, I know that you counsel all kinds of people. You talk to people who are mentally healthy, and I'm sure you talk to people who are not mentally healthy. Would mm -hmm. the advice be different for these two categories? 
Actually, no, it would be the same, meaning the, the question is, do you stay or go, right? Do you just yeah, leave yeah. and cut off or do you stay? Yeah. And the problem is each situation is so different, whether it's a mentally healthy person or non-mentally healthy person, meaning if you're the one that's got to make the decision about the relationship, you have to decide what is going to be healthiest for me long term? And the decision to go or stay, you got to kind of go through this checklist, right? Is it bad more days than not? Have I done everything I could do on my end that I'm responsible for to try to repair it? If I walk away now, can I leave and just say, okay, I did all I can do? When we kind of go through that checklist, that's really the best we can do uh, because it's really hard for most of us. I know it has been for me to just say, okay, that's it. I'm done. Walk away. Like realize it. Then the next hour leave. That's just not how we're programmed. For me and for a lot of folks I work with, we kind of go through this checklist, making sure that we've done everything. Um, now, if you're talking about the partner who we're looking at leaving, if they're mentally healthy or not mentally healthy, you know, it still depends on the situation um, and what's going to be best for the person that might have to leave or stay okay so it would vary based on your specific situation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay see now the checklist you gave us and the red flags you gave us for a toxic relationship you gave me a list that makes sense you know respect gratitude appreciation a safe emotional space all of these things but i think because women mostly for a long time have been given this secondary role in relationships wherein the man's needs must be met. And then you start thinking about your own needs. So talking about women specifically, what would you tell them that how, how can they maintain a balance? You know, don't always, you know, expect your partner to show up for you and don't always subvert your needs to accommodate the other person. Yeah, it's, it's that balance, right? That's how you, you have to say, what do I need? But is my needs um, impeding or um, trampling on my partners? Because if that's the case, it's not balance. It's not all about me and it's not all about them. It's about us. And all I'm responsible for is making sure my side of the road is clean and healthy. And I hope they'll do the same so that we can come together and have a balanced relationship. Because you're right, there's that big extreme of like, okay, you, you either take care and um, give all your needs away so you take care of another person or then it's all about you. And neither one of those are healthy. You got to find for yourself, how do I speak up as well as listen? There's a time for speaking up and a time for listening to your partner's needs. And you got to have kind of the balance of both. And the balance fluctuates up and down throughout the day, right? Because when um, he's meeting some of my needs, I'm naturally going to want to meet his needs. And then he meets some of mine. And so there's this balance and this delicate dance that happens when we're both really showing up for ourselves first, which will result in us showing up for each other, but not in that extreme way, because that can be very disastrous. Yeah. But what you're suggesting requires a lot of very open communication. But see, now with the, uh, the pandemic situation, what we have seen is that communication has actually led to a complete breakdown. Mm -hmm. so, so there has to be a structure for effective communication, communication that doesn't, you know, lead to angry emotions swirling around without anybody to mediate it. But you can't really have a third person in these conversations always <laughs> unless it's a professional. Right. Sure. So, so how do two people and not, not necessarily spouses, but any two people have uh, an effective communication that leads to growth in relationship? Mm -hmm. in, in any of those relationships. So we have to start with ourselves, right? So if we've got two people, ourselves going to be the one that we start with. We have to think about starting with, with the eyes 
the I want, I need, I would like, I really want to share this with you versus coming at a you, 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 you. Because when we start the conversation with you, it can come off very aggressively. And then that other person okay. is going to be ready to respond because we done made them mad because we're trying to point the finger at them versus thinking about I want, I need, I think. And we can start that way, but then also saying, what do you need? What do you expect? What would you like? And that's that balance. We can be good girls and respectful while speaking up for ourselves at the same time. There's that. And the other thing that I think is important that two-way communication is to not personalize stuff really quickly, right? Let's just say you've got a friend and there's a little bit of conflict and they say something and then you quickly may want to kind of jump and personalize what they're saying. Well, it may be their stuff, right? Because this is another human. They got their own stuff, their experiences, their issues, just like I've got mine. So if I jumped on everything that person told me and made it about me, there's no communication because I'm personalizing it the same way in relationships. If, if my partner was to share something and say something to me, even if it had a little bit about me, if I jumped in it and said, oh no, I know you're talking about me. I don't know what you're talking about. Then that's not going to be effective because he's not getting his needs met. And it may not have been about me in the first place, but if I jump on it so quickly, we lose the connection and whatever that issue was in the first place and then I've made it about me so then it's all lost and nothing gets resolved that makes sense because and isn't it true that a lot of what we experience in our life impacts how we deal with this other person in our you know adult relationships even though it is stuff from our childhood isn't that also true you're you're absolutely correct it does we bring the experiences we bring the feelings we bring it as this template that happened to us and as kids stuff happens to us right it happens to us and it affects our lens of how we see the world it affects how we see relationship that attachment did we have a secure attachment to family? Did we have an anxious attachment that wasn't really steady? Did we um, have no attachment to where we were really on our own? We bring that up into our adult self and it can really affect our relationship. So it's important for us to say, okay, what is this about? If I was told this or I was shown this is how you have a relationship or I grew up in a family that was very loud as an adult, I'm naturally probably going to be that way. But then I get to decide, does this still fit me as an adult? I didn't have an option as a kid of what happened to me, what I experienced, what I saw happen around mm -hmm. me. But as this adult, I get to decide, do I want this to be my adult message and keep hanging on to it? Or do I want to replace it into something else that's going to be healthy for me? So we have a choice. It's just getting to the point to give us the permission to decide, do we keep those messages or do we replace them into what works for us now and let them go? So when the communication is happening, as you said, we shouldn't be taking things personally. So maybe they are simply trying to avoid their past experience in the current relationship and maybe communicating that, right? So it may not mm -hmm. even be about you, but about yes. what, you know, that fear of reliving a past experience. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you just said fear. I've got to tell you, you're exactly right, because so much of what we experience, go through or do really comes from a place of fear. A lot of the fears don't happen, but a lot of it's fear-based, and that can keep us really stuck. And you counsel a lot of people in different walks of life. Have you ever noticed any, you know, commonality between people who have toxic relationships or who allow toxic relationships to continue for too long to the extent where it damages their life? Yeah, some of the common characteristics in people that, that are in that place and that have these even repetitive, like it might be one toxic relationship after another, after another, or they have one and they stay in. A lot of times they have very low self-esteem 
and very low confidence in themselves, confidence in their ability to make the right decision, confidence in their ability to be alone. And there's some codependency that happens, that dependency on um, I'm not really my own person. It's really going to relate to whatever's going on with my partner at the time. And if they're not happy, if they're upset, if they're raging with anger, um, then my my emotions and feelings are going to go to whatever direction they're in versus how I'm feeling at the time. So low self-esteem, low confidence, codependency, um, a very insecure attachment is another one where you don't feel really attached to healthiness growing up or as a young adult. That's another common characteristic that I see in folks that continue these long-term toxic relationships. Okay. So if someone were to decide that, okay, this is the point in my life and I get to have these adult relationships, romantic relationships, what should that person look like? Ideally speaking, I know, you know, this is just something we talk about. We can't always be in that perfect place before we initiate a relationship. But what should that person look like before, you know, they decide to go into relationships that are more complicated than familial relationships? Sure. It would start with saying, who am I? as, as okay, a person. Yeah. They're back to your, your checklist or your, your assessment yeah, there. Yeah. Who am I in the past? Am I presently? Who, I'm, who do I want to be in the future? Know a little bit about okay. that. And for a lot of people in these kind of relationships or, or in this space, they may not even know where to start. So you can ask a, a friend or a family member that has your best interest in mind. Hey, describe me. Tell me a little bit about myself. Like, what do you see when you see me? And that can kind of get your mind rolling to figure out who you are. And then also, are you ready to go into a relationship? Meaning, what do you have to offer? A lot of times, especially as women, we can kind of at times get stuck on, oh, well, what is, what are they going to offer me in a relationship? We need to be asking, what can I offer? Can I offer trust? Can I offer, um, you know, positive gratitude? Can I offer a healthy sense of self? Can I offer um, not being codependent? Can I offer love? And we, because what we want to get for us, we got to be able to put out there because I do believe we get what we attract, what we put into the world. So if I'm putting out low self-esteem, low confidence, and not really holding myself in high regard, or I'm holding my own toxic stuff inside who am I to think I'm going to get something healthy? I'm going to get toxic right back because I'd be willing to put up with somebody like that, which is why in this example you gave, if we're trying to be our best self, trying to say, am I ready for this? Trying to be healthy and good self-esteem, it's highly likely we're going to attract someone who wants the same thing. And when we see that toxic person knocking on the door, like they're ready to you know, get off the bench and come ask us out, we're like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't do that anymore. I don't accept that level of toxicity anymore. And it's easier to say no when we're healthier. Yeah, easier to say no when we're healthier. But the problem is that some people, I'm sure you are familiar with these people who have accepted so much bad stuff for so long. How do we start the process of explaining to them that, you know, it's not okay to do that? What is the very first step that a person like that should take to step towards something healthier or to demand something a little bit more for themselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in people in this situation can't, like you say, can't see it for themselves. They're like, how, I don't even know where to start. So I would tell them, if your best friend was doing what you're doing, if your best friend was behaving, if your your sister or your loved one or um, your child as a, as a young woman, if they were doing this, would that be okay? And a lot of times people are like, oh no, I would tell them to do totally different. And I'd say, well, if you'd want different from your best friend, why wouldn't you want different from you? Yeah. 
we want to honor the people we love, but we are so quick to not honor ourselves. So sometimes that can get us out of ourselves to see somebody else in that space to maybe kickstart that catalyst for saying, what can I just, what one thing can I do today to feel better about me, no matter how small it may seem. Okay. But now if you turn this around, a lot of people expect their partner to be a crutch for them to constantly fulfill their needs. And you know how they say about, especially about marriages, that, you know, you complete each other. But some people take it too far to the extent where your partner is constantly fulfilling the needs that, you know, somebody else, maybe your child or whatever, Mm -hmm. left incomplete. And I think a lack of self-sufficiency could be disastrous. So how do we explain to people that, you know what, that's not what your partner is for. You shouldn't need them to that extent. Sure. Well, it starts with saying, like, what are you doing for you? When you're talking about that self-independence, I say, do you have a hobby? Do you have an interest outside your relationship? What are you doing without your partner? What do you do when your partner goes out of town? What are you going to do just for you? And like, wait a minute, I don't, I'm like, well, why not? Like growing up, what did you do? What interest did you have? What were you into? What did you do that was fun? And a lot of times as adults, we shed and forget about the things that we used to enjoy doing. And we get in these relationships and they're so overwhelming and they, you know, meld into one person. That's really unhealthy because then you don't have, like you said, that independent self. So asking people to say, go get a hobby, find an individual, find a group of friends outside your partner that are healthy that you can go do something with and enjoy life with so that you because you and your partner both need separate hobbies you need some together to go do and have fun and and work on intimacy and connection and recreational intimacy but you need individual interest hobbies and you need an individual life because if somebody completes you what's going to happen when they're not there you're not going to go into a puddle on the ground it'll be horrible and you'll grieve and it'll be trauma but you got to be your own person while serving and being a part of a, a, a relationship. Okay. And if there are two strong individuals, like, but as, as and when we encounter bumps in our relationship, something that, you know, that wasn't, that we hadn't expected, like this pandemic now, yes. how, how, what is the best process to handle these uh, situations in a relationship so that it doesn't lead to a breakdown? Well, I would say that not making any real big decisions right now, when things are chaotic and stressful and kind of crazy in life, not to say I'm going to make a life altering decision right now, unless you've thought about it, you've looked at it, you maybe even sought counsel around you with people that know you to say, okay, what can we do right now? We don't want to make a big decision. I don't want to make a big decision about what's happening. Um, What can I do to make it better today? Do I know what I need? Am I sharing what I need? Am I um, being open to communication? Am I even picking the right time to communicate in this relationship? Um, When is an ideal time for us to get along so we can have some communication, talk about things? And also a really wild thing to do is ask your partner, what do they want? What do they need? How are they feeling? Because a lot of times our frustration comes because we're not feeling heard. We're not feeling listened to and we're feeling discounted. So if we want that to be heard, if we want to be listened to, we've got to model that as well. We have to be able and willing to do that for our partners also. And those are some things that kind of help start, especially with all this unexpected things that are happening right now in the world. Now, when you have active anxiety or when you have mental Mm -hmm. health issues, a lot of people feel like they don't have the right to be in a relationship because they bring all of this baggage with them. And the other person will have to carry some of that load because they will have to make concessions to the other person, keeping in mind 
the issues that they have. So what would you say to these people to make them understand that it's okay for you to have a relationship and ask a little bit more from the other person? Because again, as you said, you can't ask for what you don't bring to the table. Right. I'm glad you said that because just because you've got a mental illness does not mean you're flawed. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're battling something that a lot of times you don't have control over and you didn't decide to take on yourself. It's happened and developed within you. So it's not something you picked up and did to yourself. So why are you treating yourself like, um, like you're guilty or ashamed or not deserving of love and care? I would ask you to say, wait, do I view someone that's got a medical diagnosis differently? What if someone had a medical illness? Would I view them in a little more care and love than I would because I've got a mental illness? No, we've got the stigma around because it's a mental illness, because I have anxiety or OCD or depression. I'm not deserving of the same thing. But we wouldn't do that with a medical diagnosis. So I really want to challenge folks that are listening right now that are finding themselves in this space to say, who went and told you you're not worthy of the same type of equal relationship that I have, right? Or that you have, or that someone who doesn't have an active mental illness deserves. And so a lot of times people can say, oh, well, no one told me. I'm like, okay, well, let's take a look at it then and rewrite that narrative. Because what's happening is it, a lot of it is fear and it's anticipatory fear, right? Anticipating that some fear is going to come up because if they let someone too close to them, they're really going to see what's going on behind the face, behind the mask. And that can be so scary because if they see me for who I am with this mental illness, they're not going to love me. Or they're gonna, not going to think I'm worth it. Or they're going to leave me and then I'm going to be abandoned. So why should I do it in the first place? So a lot of it is fear-based. And, anxi- and our anxiety loves fear. Our anxiety wants us to like bathe in yeah. fear so that it can keep that anxiety spinning. Okay. Forgetting about the mental illness. Even people who are too too strong individuals, too equally strong individuals also have issues. Would you recommend counseling as the first step or at what point do we approach a counselor, seek outside help? Yeah, every even two healthy people are not 100% healthy 100% of the time right? Because no one is. And that's why we just kind of hope for more days and not versus absolutes. And so if you've got a couple that's doing pretty good and they hit some bumps in the road, things just come up because life happens and they're, um, they, they find an issue that they can't resolve this conflict and they keep, they get stuck in a cycle and they try to problem solve it. They keep getting stuck and one or both people are getting more and more frustrated because they can't overcome this conflict or they can't really collaborate, not negotiate, but collaborate on how to fix it, then it's a great time to say, let's bring in a third party to jump in and help us work this out. Because someone who's not emotionally tied to us may be able to give us some tips on how to work this out. So if you can't resolve it yourself and you're stuck and you're just in this cycle, then it's a good time to seek um, support outside. So if you're having the same arguments over and over again without any resolution happening, then you approach professional. Okay, so is there something you can proactively do, you know, even if you're not in a situation of conflict, what is it that you can do to avoid conflict in future or to simply strengthen your relationship? I love prevention. And that's what you're talking about. How can we prevent, right? And be as preventative versus reactionary. I think the biggest thing, especially as us women, we do is we don't speak up for what we won't need in relationships. 
Um, and, I, and it can be something as simple as speaking up about, no, we really wanted this type of food for dinner versus this, and we didn't say anything, and then we've done it a couple times, and we start getting resentful because um, they didn't give us the chance to choose. I mean, little things like that, too, something where it's, um, you know, I'm really not getting one of my needs met. Maybe it's a physical or intimate need that I'm not feeling fulfilled in. So I, I'm not speaking up because I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to say anything. So as women, if we don't speak up and do it in an affirming uh, way that feels good for us and that's um you know respectful for our partner that can be disastrous because we can stuff and stack and stuff and stack to where we start building this resentment up so speaking up for our needs in a way that's um, really affirming and not aggressive is the best thing that we can do to prevent conflict down the road okay so regularly making sure that you're uh, you have you mm -hmm. know communicated your needs to the other person and maybe mm -hmm done a check on your own self and whether you feel fulfilled mm -hmm. in a relationship or not. We talked about women and how, you know, they don't speak up for themselves or they don't communicate their needs. Now with men, again, mm -hmm. I think men approach relationships differently. A lot of men feel like they can't get too emotional because they're supposed to carry the load right. without breaking down or without showing too much emotion. So uh, focusing on men, mm -hmm. but what is it that sure. men can do so that they feel safe expressing themselves? Right. Well, I think it goes back with guys too, speaking up for what the need is. And they may, guys aren't going to use the same words that, that girls do a lot of times in those feelings and emotional type words, but really asking uh, or at, you know, speaking up for what the need is as a guy. And if it's a partner relationship to say, what does that mean to you? You're saying you want, um, you want more quality time with me. What does that mean? Oh, okay. Well, my guy might say, I, I want you to just hang out with me, not be on your phone during dinner. That would be important. So it's going to be important for us to ask for some clarity at times for guys, because a lot of guys will use maybe five words where us as women, we may use like 30, <laughs> right? And so they're going to say a little less sometimes. And it's up to us if it's in a, um, whether it's a relationship or partnership or work or any type of situation say, Oh, what do you need? What does that mean? Um, you know, can I help you with that? Or what can I do to make it easier for you? Because it also gives these men permission to speak up. I know with my partner, he doesn't say a lot. And so uh, it's what I do a lot of times. I say, hey, do you need anything? Can I help out with anything? And then he may go, he may go yeah, actually, I got this problem with work. Can I run it past you? I just got to get it off my chest. I was like, yeah, let me have it. Talk to me about it. But he's not naturally going to say, well, he's gotten better at it through the years. But he wouldn't in the beginning go up and say, I need to talk with you about a problem at work. What do I know about his work, right? It's a totally different world. So by me just checking in, I'm giving him this permission and invitation as a guy for him to say, yeah, here's what's actually going on. And that's, an, that's a way to, to do that, especially if guys are really struggling to speak up for what their needs are. But with the guys, guys, just like girls, they want to feel safe. They don't want to be hurt. They want to get their needs met. They want to feel loved and they want to feel secure. And that's really a human um, commonality that a lot of us have that I think we dismiss a lot of times in guys. Does it ever happen in a session mm -hmm. with you that you, you know, someone, a man in the session cries? How do we make mm -hmm. them understand that it's okay? To oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it does. And I just, I, you know, the biggest thing I do is just sit with them and just say, hey, you know, it's okay. So if you're sitting with a guy and he's getting tearful, just say, okay, I'm, I'm here. Take as much time as you need. So that it's not like, oh, are you okay? Do you need a Kleenex? What do you need? Because when we react, when we see a guy do, that's causing them to shut down. It's telling them it's not okay to cry. So just like I, I say, in, and whether it's in relationships or um, in friendships or in as a therapist, I'd say take as much time as you need and just sit in the silence and just let them be. 
and not try to push, pull, or say, oh my goodness, are you okay? Or gosh, I've never seen you cry, because that can really, you know, push them back a bit. <laughs> okay, making a big issue out of it could make them shut yes. down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but I'll tell you for what I've seen too, for men to feel uh, that, that ease and space to be able to be emotional or to allow tears to go, it shows that they are probably in a safe place. So if you're in a relationship or friendship or family relationship and the tears are coming, it might mean that you're helping give a secure, safe place for that guy to be able to cry and express that at the time. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, I always tell people that it has to be complete, complete transparency and a lot of the time I get this response that that's not possible. You can't have complete transparency. I mean, we have to hold something back. And I don't know if that's true. So as an expert, what's your take on that? I do think that it, we have to hold percentages of things back. Now, it's not a calculated hold back 20%. It's more of a, I, and I'll use this for an example. I know in my relationship, it, I, I'm not going to say 100% of the things that come to my mind all the time to him because it's it's not necessary. Um, and, and, and some things that I may say would be hurtful to him. Let's say, for an example, if um, what he had, an, I'll just tell you, he had an injury um, a, a year ago and had a really bad bone infection that was really traumatic and he didn't get to work out and he put some weight on. And so he would say, oh gosh, I put weight. I don't, I'm disgusted. I'm like, no, you're not. It's okay. It's not a big deal. When maybe at times that it was like, okay, well, there's been a change in weight or you don't feel good about yourself. That's a problem that I was having is he didn't feel good about himself. Not to do with the weight, but I'm not going to say, no, it's not okay. Like, or, um, yes, it's, you know, you've gone up a couple of pound sizes. I've got a problem with that. That's not fair for me to tell him that because it's not that big of a deal. But even if I had that thought go through my mind, that would have been hurtful. So when we look at, if I tell this person, is it going to hurt them? Then I don't think that transparency is okay. I don't know of a relationship where someone tells 100% of their partner 100% of the things they think and that comes to mind because that's a lot of stuff. Um, it does not mean that you're not supposed to be transparent. It doesn't mean that cheating's okay or betrayal is okay or um, you know going and doing things to hurt them and not tell them is okay. I'm not giving bad behavior a pass. But we look at transparency being 100%. Um, I don't think we disclose 100% of the things that go on our mind all the time. I think that's kind of impossible. Okay, so we assess the situation. We yeah. uh, think about the consequences. And we think about how important that particular issue is to the relationship. Yes. Okay, yeah, that, well that said. makes sense. So if I were to ask you for just three qualities of a healthy relationship... Uh, trust. And when I say trust, it's the understanding that trust goes up and down throughout the day, not all or nothing. Um, and trust goes on a scale. So there's trust that goes up and down throughout the day. Uh, adaptability, the ability to adapt and move with situations is happening in any given day, any given situation, being adaptable to the changes that might happen to one or both people in the relationship. And the third one, I think, um, is uh, service, meaning being of service to one another right? Saying, what things can I do to help serve you? Because I know you're going to serve me and we're not waiting for the other person to serve. We're serving from a place of love, which is going to helpfully, um, or hopefully bring that other person to serve you as well. And not in a servant mentality, but I know for me, I like taking care of the people I love and, and care about. And be, by me doing that, I attract and bring in people that help take care of me as well. So, you know, trust on the fluctuation scale of up and down, adaptability and service is the three things that I think makes a healthy relationship. 
Okay, you, you know, you said that you love taking care of other people and you, you have to have service as one of the elements in a healthy relationship. But a lot of the times what happens is the people who love taking care of others are the ones who get taken for granted. And I have, I too love taking care of others. But what I've noticed now is that I'm afraid of doing too much because then that is, that develops a, that turns into a pattern. People keep expecting me to show up without ever showing up themselves. So how, how do you avoid mm -hmm. that? Because that, that's your, a part of your nature. That's a part of who you are. But how do you avoid that from becoming the problem? Boundaries, 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 right? For an example, I mean, you, the one way you take care of people is your information. You're a writer, you're an author, you're a blogger. Like you give such great information to the world and you give, give, give. And so if someone can ask, if, let's say someone emailed you every day asking you questions, asking you questions, and you're responding at some point, like you can't keep answering every single day, right? And so you may have to say, hey, I'm not able to take questions at this time. That's a boundary. Or in a relationship, you care about someone. And if they keep um, giving or they keep asking and you keep giving and then you want to be taken care of and they don't show up, then it's a, hey, I'm not going to be able to give the way I used to. I've got to, I've got to make some change and my change is going to look like I'm only going to get to visit y'all one time a week or a family. I'm only going to jump on a call once a day, not multiple times a day. Those, those are boundaries so that we can keep loving and caring about people, but not start, not get frustrated and resentful because the resentment starts building up and then we push, right? We end up avoiding because we're so fearful that we're going to get taken advantage of, but it's not their responsibility. It's ours to set the boundary of what we'll accept. And most importantly, what we won't accept and us putting up boundaries about what we're not going to accept doesn't make us bad girls or bad people. It means that we know what we need, want and desire so that we can keep living the life that we want to. Okay. But can we communicate our needs or expectations or how we want our relationship to be at the very starting of a relationship? Or could that ruin the what you're trying to develop there? That, that's a good question. I, I think I think you can do that to a certain extent. You can know what you're going to put up and what you're not going to put up with, what your negotiables and non-negotiables are. That's the work you want to do if, uh, beforehand. It's like, what is my... Um, you know, what am I not going to tolerate? Am I going to be okay with someone who does this or doesn't do that? Knowing ahead of time is a great way to start that. But then if we start seeing red flags, even in the beginning, we have to ask ourselves, do I want to keep taking another step down this path? Or do I need to say, hi, I need some space from this? Or this person isn't good for me, but there's something about them I like. Um, so you have to really be honest with yourself. And if you start losing a bit of that, ask a friend that knows you real well. That's not judgmental. Ask them, hey, you know, I, I, what do you think about this person? And if they're coming from a non-judgmental place, you want to take, you know, what they have to say into account. Okay. People are going to have a lot to process. <laughs> but if you were to give them uh, resources, you know, that could help them apart from this interview, that could help them build stronger relationships, what resources would you recommend? Well, they can always check out my podcast, Fix Yourself First. It's topics on relationship, personal growth, and sex and intimacy, and, and building your own relationships with self-esteem and such. Um, and then also, I mean, you've got a lot of great resources on your website, too. You've got great articles about keeping yourself healthy and, and taking care of yourself. It's important. Um, there's so many great, and just like your podcast, there's so many great free resources out there. There's nothing you have to pay for, but going out and listening and consuming information that's helpful. Follow some folks on Instagram that's really positive and that put out relationship tips and self-growth is important. Um, I think TEDs and TEDxs are great resources yes. and free online, right? For YouTube, you can find those uh, the free resources to find out some of the experts' views on relationships and personal growth. 
So there, there's a lot of good options out there. And I have a blog that's got some of the same top topics also with self-esteem and growth. Okay. And, and if people wanted to get in touch with you, now, where can they do that? They can follow me on Instagram at Christy underscore Overstreet or go to my website, DrChristyOverstreet.com um, or on Facebook at DrChristyOverstreet. So there's three main places that people can connect with me. And do you offer virtual sessions? I do. And I'll tell you, um, I know I'm not taking as many new folks right now because it is so busy. But if people reach out, and they're connecting with me through the show. I'm going to try to help them every way that I can. Um, and I also have um, coming pretty soon, especially around the, the idea of the emotional and physical needs and relationship. I have a program that's coming out. It's called Ideal Intimacy Method Program, and it's where people get to work directly with me on my um, online course, as well as in monthly virtual coaching calls on working on how to get your emotional, physical needs met, whether you're in a relationship or single. So that's coming out soon, too. So you can connect with me for more information about that. That's exciting. Uh, as the final question, if you were to give people just one tip to add to the quality of their life, not just relationships, but it could just be anything to add to the quality of your life beyond, you know, the conventional ideas of success and happiness, what would that one tip be? Mm -hmm. That one tip would be to take 30 minutes a day to do something just for you. If you can take an hour, go for it. But just something for you. Maybe it's taking a bath. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's just reading a book for pleasure and not anything business related or work related or just sitting outside for 30 minutes doing something just for you where you turn your phone off and just nurture yourself and give yourself that little bit of a gift is so therapeutic. I know I would lose my mind if I did not give myself 30 minutes to an hour a day just to be with me and doing something to take care of myself. That was Dr. Christy Overstreet, and I am so grateful that she agreed to be a part of this conversation. Relationships are the most beautiful part of being human. They are the source of all the love and laughter in our life, which is why they need to be carefully nourished and sustained with constant care. If you're facing issues in your relationship, try to remember all the actionable insight, the guidance that Christy has shared during this episode, and try to implement that to your own situation. But if the issue persists, don't suffer by yourself because chances are, even without realizing, you are giving subtle indications of being unhappy, which must be causing confusion and hurt to your loved ones. So if you are unable to deal with your issues on your own, you can book a virtual session with Christy, as she mentioned during the interview. The relevant links will be on my website, redefinednarrative.com. Search for the podcast episode and there should be a list of resources and links for you to explore. And if you want to get in touch with our guests, the page will have all their relevant information. Now, if you found today's episode useful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or share it on Instagram. It will help others find the information should they need it. Remember to tag me at Mehra underscore Krati so that I can thank you for your time. And if there is any particular topic or issue you would like for me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Insta or use the contact page on my blog. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. Till then, take care of yourself.